0: Welcome to the Art and Science of Success. I'm your host, Jonathan Brown. Now this 12-part podcast series has been created to help you make the most of the recovery opportunities, however long they last. In the last 12 years, I've worked with some of the world's top leaders, companies, and teams to help them create success in highly challenging situations. And in that time, I've got to know some of the world's top practitioners and researchers into the toughest situations we can face. As we work to rebuild our businesses and even our communities, I wanted to offer some free resources and insights that I know help leaders because we use them every day helping our clients to deliver amazing results. So we asked them, what insights and ideas do you have that leaders can apply to help them survive and thrive whatever happens in the next few months or even the next few years? We have to find ways of inspiring our people to become even better. And if there was ever a time for you to do truly great work, to truly be your best more often, it's today. So I hope these podcasts will help you in some small way to create even more success for you and for those you care about. Hello and welcome to the final week of our podcast series, The Art and Science of Success. I'm your host, Jonathan Brown. Well, um, we've finally made it to the end and I really hope that the podcasts have helped you. Um, What I wanted when I started it was to give you ideas and a little inspiration um, so you could find ways to be your best more often for less cost and ideally to help you take your best to a new level, maybe even levels that you couldn't imagine at the beginning. But I wanted most of all for the podcast to be about your story and how you can create the one that you want. Because if you're anything like me, not all of your choices have turned out as you'd hoped. And my research and practice shows that this doesn't matter so much. What does matter is how ready and able you are to make more helpful choices today and tomorrow. So with the help of your story, I'd like to start this one with another. I think it has relevance to the ideas some of our community members are having right now, And it's something we need to tackle to lead ourselves and our organisations through the challenges we're facing in the months ahead. And for those of you who have read Stress and Success, you'll recognise it as the starting point of that book when it was first published back in 2013. And this story is called The Man Who Could Fly. A man is inspired by flight and works tirelessly to find a way to fly unassisted. He finally figures out how to do it and proudly sends off his theories for publication in the world's top scientific journals. He's disappointed to find out that other scientists don't believe him. In fact, they ridicule his ideas. Saddens, but not entirely surprised, he goes directly to the public and the press. But they too laugh. So he decides to show them. He invites the scientists, the public and the press to see him demonstrate his theories. He climbs the tallest skyscraper in the city, and with neither fanfare nor hesitation, he launches himself off the building. As he plunges past the 50th floor, he's heard to shout, so far, so good. Hmm. Maybe that's not the tone you're expecting or wanting in a, in a podcast that is about success and aims to be positive. So how about this poem by Christopher Logue? Come to the edge, we might fall. Come to the edge, it's too high. Come to the edge. And they came and he pushed and they flew. Which for you was more positive and which do you prefer? And I wonder why would I put two seemingly contradictory ideas at the start of this podcast in a series that's designed to help us through COVID and the pandemic and all the craziness that goes with it and in the UK, Brexit. Um, Well, it's to make sure that we're all clear that in fast-moving, dynamic situations, there's an opportunity to make life-changing decisions and these can be positive and negative. And it's important that we can make those bold decisions and find ways to protect ourselves from too much harm. And my hope is that in implying and applying the ideas in the podcast, you'll be able to see through both lenses and be able to make the most helpful choice for you in whatever situation you face. Thriving today is not about thinking optimistically or pessimistically. It's not about simply believing good things will happen. It's about learning how to make good things happen. Learning how we can be the author of our own stories when consequences are well consequential and whichever way things turn out is helping you to be satisfied with the choices you made and what you did. So the podcasts have all been about you becoming a greater author of your story because we need authors right now. So how do we do it? Well like with all the, the podcasts really it starts with a simple sounding question and that is how can we deliver today whilst making tomorrow better or easier? So today is effectively an investment for tomorrow and we're not bringing forward spending our energy from tomorrow just to get through today which is what many of us have to do in stressful situations and we've certainly had that in the last two years. So are we where we want to be? now? this is definitely not what we wanted but it's what we've got. So how can we turn it to our advantage and that's the essence of, of smarter stress thinking. So today I want you to bring everything together to give you some pointers on how to apply it all. Because we've entered a consequential time in our collective history. Maybe more consequential than any time in the last 70-odd-plus 70 years since the Second World War. And like our our forefathers, our grandparents and great-grandparents, we didn't ask for it. I personally thought we'd have five or six years before this happened, but it's here. And it's important we live and work as we most want, in ways that reflect our most important values. Because values matter today more than they have in decades. And in the long run, they're all that matters. And that's why values has been a massive theme of these podcasts. Far too many leaders today are behaving with absolutely no semblance of eulogy values, as Mike Matthews called them. Many of our so-called leaders fail on the three Cs. They're incompetent, uncaring and lack character. Now, they're people who may have been fine if it was business as usual, but now it's anything but that. And we need to adapt to this. Now, given the uncertainty of our situation, it can be hard to decide what to do. And if we were working together, I'd look to help you choose behaviours that will deliver positive outcomes or maintain and increase future potential actions and outcomes, regardless of the next challenge. So what can you do that will have a positive effect? Well, focus on building your own three C's. The truly global problems we face now will come down to solutions we can create in our local communities. So this isn't a job to be done alone, so let's help each other together. And given the scale of the challenge, this is what we need to do. But the great news is we can make that difference. And the research says be competent, show character and be caring. And what's crucial with all of this is create a shared view with the people you care about. Now this could be people in business, but it's also people in your families as well. So as you lead your businesses and organisations, my strong encouragement is to do it in a values-based long-term way. Now there's nothing wrong with capitalism but there's everything wrong with short-term predatory capitalism and any difference between shareholders, employees and customer interests are resolved if you take a longer-term view. The challenge is persuading all parties to do the same but it starts with us, to be clear on the kind of organisation we want to lead and engage our people so that we can play their part and build on, on, on their ideas and on yours. So whatever your business, focus on making a profitable difference to everyone. Adam Smith based all economics on a fair exchange of value and that's our commitment as leaders. What it also means is that we need to have the courage to look ahead and the courage and skill to face what's next and what's after that. And this was why our first podcast was all about positive emotions and why Fred Luskin's research came first. Now just as a recap, Fred talked about the secret of happiness or a successful life as doing purposeful and meaningful work being surrounded by people you cared about and who cared for you, and then savoring those two things. And this directly links with George Valiant's study of the men of Harvard, which he talks about the importance of of being in an environment where love is present and being able to take in that love and to to metabolize it so we actually feel love. Now, one of the challenges with this, and I think one of the areas when you look at Fred's research starts off with positive psychology and then moves into forgiveness, is what's our relationship with our past and how is it helping us handle or how is it holding us back from creating the future that we want? So what would it take then for your past to be perfect for the future that you want? How could your past be perfect preparation for the challenges you're facing today and tomorrow? And how is it that we can make sure you'll succeed, not in spite of your past challenges and your reactions to them, but because of it? So an example of that, for example, is my burnout. So back in 2008-9, I suffered a catastrophic loss of performance, agency, just about everything. Lost a million dollars in financial wealth. But that work that I did coming out of that and my experience of burning out myself has been of massive help when I've gone in and helped other people facing similar or worse challenges. So how are you holding your past? And to what extent does it inspire or hold you back? Is it the past you've always wanted? Does it set you up for what you have or or want to do next? And if not, that's where Fred's research and practice can really help. Helping you recover from challenges that you face. Now just remember that Fred's research started off with how how can we apply psychological principles to help people recover from actual heart damage. And that led to positive emotions and then to forgiveness practice. Now for me, the overlap here is a practice and emotions of appreciation. Because for me and through my work, appreciation and not love or trust is the killer app because it's three skills or perspectives in one. So first of all, there's the appreciation that is almost a synonym or the same as gratitude. So I appreciate you. I want to thank you and I want you to know that I appreciate what you did would be the essence of that. But there's also the appreciation of I appreciate why you did that. I appreciate the situation. As in, I understand all the factors that went into combining combine this particular challenge. So appreciation equals a depth of understanding. And then the final one is the way assets can appreciate in value. Now for me, those things, whilst they can seem, seem separate, we've actually created a ladder in ALP in order to create the ladder of positive emotions. So it starts off with understanding and appreciation of a situation. What, what in military terms would be, be classed as situational awareness? so you appreciate what causes success and what causes the results in events in your organization and in your life you're able to determine the value that those things have and be grateful for what contribution they've made and in that sense those things can then appreciate in value and that's essentially how you create a value and values ladder but also how you build appreciation of all its of all the three types in order to get positive emotion now the other thing that that Fred, I think was was very strong at was that the secret of success is practice, practice, practice and it's the importance of your practice of what you do day to day that makes a massive difference in your life. So whatever you're doing commit to your practice and do it again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Now if we're able to look ahead we can anticipate our challenges and we can prepare for them and if we can prepare for them we can turn a crisis a potential crisis that is into an opportunity or at the very least, a stimulating challenge. Now to do that, however, requires courage because there's some difficult things coming our way. Now here in the UK, we've had a long-term increase in the level of challenge with the reduction in the amount of support our society can now provide us. Now, I'm not saying that any other country is any different to this. What I'm talking about is is my personal experience is much more of the UK. So if you are thinking of your, organis- your country, wherever you are in the world, and I know from the, from the, the listening data that people are everywhere, What's happened there. So let's assume that it's pretty much the same. Now the NHS in the UK for example is going to need years to recover and some areas such as mental health I just don't see how the resources currently allocated can come anywhere near or anywhere close to doing what's now required to help people come back in one piece. So we need to adapt to that, fight obviously to get more resources to it, support organizational and cultural and societal change but also recognize that if we want adequate mental health provision we're more likely going to have to pay for it and even then there could be a massive shortage of therapists and it could be really difficult to find one. So overall then what we need to do is to boost our own systems of support and prepare for what could be a long cold and maybe occasionally dark winter here in the UK. Now the comparison here to what we've covered is the US Army's comprehensive soldier fitness which Mike Matthews covered. Now, the best resilience and mental health programs are based on assumptions that didn't include a pandemic, being isolated from our families for 12 to 18 months, and not being able to leave our homes to do all the things that have given us positive emotions, or at the very least, a safety valve. For example, just going with your mates to watch a football match or going down the pub. So what can we do then to make our our future reactions stronger? And what can we do to make any, any resilience or mental health programs strong enough to handle what's coming? we can tie them into our performance programs so that when we're actually talking about mental health instead of mitigating mental illness or as I call it emotional injury or emotional malnourishment so when you look at what you do to prepare your own mental health for, for future challenges how ready are you for a potential other lockdown filled winter and sadly in the UK one that may even have power cuts So what can you do now to be better prepared? Now, just as a recap, some of the research that shows that our biggest needs if we want to thrive are strong social relationships with regular physical contact. Doing meaningful work, feeling respected and appreciated, now this is linked directly to Fred's people, purpose and savoring, connection to our external environment and the natural world and recovery from mostly childhood trauma, what's known as ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And a sense of hope or inspiration for the future. Tackling and working on any one of these will help us to be stronger tomorrow and the great news is is that engaging in any of these areas automatically influences or touches upon the others and what we've found in organisations is if you were to commit to 12 to 18 weeks of this you can transform your emotional and performance landscape and the even better news is it's even better if it's done in groups. Something that I've really taken from the podcast is that the people I interviewed are people I strive to emulate. One of the challenges I've had through this pandemic is feeling a sense of hope and inspiration. And interviewing these people helped me directly with that. And when I look at what binds them together, there are a number of characteristics or or qualities that they have that I think is worth emulating. So the first thing is they've, they've spent decades In their work and sometimes at personal risk. Tom Koldich, for example, hitchhiked around the battlefield in Iraq in order to improve leadership standards at West Point. So they've had to show courage, they've had to show grit and consistency, they're committed to helping others and they are instinctively generous as they all were with giving me the time to do the interviews. So they're the kind of people I want to be around and the kind of person I strive to be. Now, I'm 12 years in now to a near full-time study of stressful situations and 20 years in coaching and performance improvement. I feel I'm starting to get the hang of things, but I've got some way to go. And given that the least experienced person I interviewed has had at least 30 years experience of their life's work, I think the average is about 40 years. Um, John Butler is over 60 years into his. But they're all passionately committed to making a difference and to being a catalyst for positive change. So when I think of words like agency, engagement, purpose, those are the things that they most represent and they are the things we need to help and lead in turbulent times. One other thing that stands out when I listen back to all the podcasts is an adage that David Whittaker taught me, which is if in doubt, build relationship. If in doubt, build relationship. And I think literally any one of the speakers in this podcast series could have said that and believes that relationships are absolutely crucial we must whatever happens find a way of strengthening core relationships so even if it means now you spending if there is a potential lockdown coming and sadly that that is a possibility spend time in the next month or however long you've got visiting people and connecting with them and setting up support systems so that if we did go into another lockdown our relationships would be strengthened through it one other thing that every every person in the that I interviewed is committing to helping and making everyone better. So you make yourself better, you make your team better, you make the whole better. And as John Butler says, to make whole, be whole. So if you want to help, fix yourself. And the only way to lead is by example. The other thing that I found with all of them was a willingness to test their ideas and to be sure that you understand your results and then ruthlessly invest in that work and cut out anything that doesn't work regardless of how much you enjoy it. Now the best example of that who has systematically approached that is Tom Kolditz and his work at, at, at Rice and the John and, and Andor Institute. But in dynamic situations there is no learning to swim without getting wet. You can't fully understand or appreciate what's going on by standing back and thinking. You have to test and engage. You do ideas and your choices and this inevitably leads to bruising, sometimes literally. But most of what we do is wrong or misinformed and we need to learn to love the mismatches again. And I've never seen such a mismatch between what people want to happen, what causes things to happen and what we're doing to make them happen. And this is where our our, our hunt for mismatches can be so valuable. And sometimes organisation saving. I know most of us are not involved in life and death situations, but it's this kind of stuff that is actually life saving in a turbulent situation where the consequences are life and death. Now the great news is whilst it can be painful to love our own mismatches if we hunt for them ourselves we get to control what happens when we find them. If you wait for the market or for your boss to find them then you can have a very different and very negative experience. Now all of this can sound quite difficult and challenging I know that but this comes back to something that Tom Kolditz talked about was the importance of courage and he talked about the absence of courage being excessive self-interest. It wasn't cowardice. But what it was were people thinking too much about their own short-term interest. So we don't need to be courageous, we just need an absence of, of self-interestedness. We need to focus on others and we need to focus on a collective purpose and a collective outcome. So we build courage by ensuring we and our people don't get too concerned about our short-term self-interest because this is the root of cowardice. So if we to focus on developing courage in ourselves and others, we can remember that Tom's recommendation is to focus on the mission and on our purpose rather than short-term outcomes. The more committed we are to our purpose, the more courageous we tend to be. And if we help develop cohesion or team spirit in our departments, we'll get more people working for each other instead of themselves. So let's focus on the mission, on what binds us together. And I cannot think of a time, literally in the last 75 years, when a shared mission and shared purpose has been more important. And that's, that's, there's a challenge to that. There's a weight to carrying that responsibility as leaders. But there's also an inspiration. We get to make the difference. You get to make the difference. You get to be the one. You get to be the one to serve the others, to inspire the others. Or at times, you get to be the one to be carried by the others because you've, you've found yourself and created an environment that is so cohesive that they will not leave you behind. So do what matters. Figure out how you can help more people and build relationships, and build relationships with people who clearly care about you. And the measure of that is when you're in trouble, have they reached back to you to help? And focus your energy and attention on the people who have helped you, and would help you in the future. So, in closing, I would like you to remind you. I've got a series of questions that I'm going to ask just to help you to prepare for for what's coming. But I just want you to remember something that Mike Matthews said. And the research shows that post-traumatic stress disorder is actually less common than post-traumatic growth. So Mike's research on crucible events, big challenges, periods of adversity um, and how we come out the other side is that there's four major responses. The first one is the one that gets all the headlines and that's pathology or post-traumatic stress disorder. The second one is no change, what he described as invulnerability. And then the third one is just a straightforward recovery Um, return to previous levels which is actually commonly known now especially in business as resilience. But number four is post-traumatic growth and the research shows that post-traumatic growth is actually more likely than PTSD. Now that's not to say we're not going to have post-traumatic stress it's just that post-traumatic stress of where we can have what can at times feel like an extreme reaction to a traumatic event is actually entirely normal and even a desirable part of the recovery and your development. So those of us who experience post-traumatic growth, we find ways to integrate the experiences into our lives going forward, and it makes us a better person. It can help us have more empathy, for example, or more love for people. It can help us value those around us. And that's what I really hope, is that you have the resources, or you can get the resources in order to look back on this experience of the last 18 months, and say, my life, I want my life to be different and better, as a result of what I've been through. These things are now more important to me and I'm willing to put everything behind them. Now, this COVID crisis and subsequent reactions and responses have created disruption that will last years. Our communities have been changed before our eyes and trends that were gradually gathering pace have all been turbocharged. So there's not gonna be a return to normal anytime soon. So if we want to get a chance of getting ahead of the COVID challenges, It's essential we find ways to accelerate our learning and performance. So here are some questions, and the aim is to help you think about what you're doing and how you're planning the next few months, and even the next few years really, in order to be in a better position. The first thing is to recognize that stress makes us do stupid things. And also stress is contagious. So what can you do and what are you currently doing to counter what I describe as viral stupidity in your business? More and more of us are increasingly fatigued and even exhausted after this one lockdown challenge after another. So what are you doing now to help people to let go of that fatigue and exhaustion and be strengthened for what could be an even more challenging period? How can we make sure we have the energy and focus to live a breakthrough results in 2022? It would be easy to think that 2021 post-COVID will be like 2019, only harder. And I think this is wrong. I think our world has changed and will keep changing. Now, some things are gone forever. So how are you preparing yourself and your people for the new reality, for the new challenges and ensuring you'll be ready when the opportunities come? The the way I see it, the biggest impact of COVID has been to accelerate long-term trends. What was changing relatively slowly has rocketed ahead. How ready are you to tackle those trends? Have you got your people looking at them? Now, stress looks to be an individual problem. It isn't stress is actually a collective problem that comes to individuals. So if you're only offering individual solutions, stress management, you'll never get to the other side of turbulence. And I've seen this outsourcing of the collective problem in our response to COVID. And that is in the very, at times, challenging dialogue around mask mandates. Now, the whole thing about masks is it's actually an attempt to solve a problem of poor ventilation. What I haven't seen any evidence of a government or health organisations saying please improve your ventilation and I've asked clients and potential clients I said what how has your ventilation strategy changed since, she, since the COVID crisis and most of them look at me with some look of bemusement um, or incredulity really because they don't even know if they've got a ventilation strategy and most companies haven't and what's most worrying is I've yet to find anyone in the NHS our national health service and their hospitals have a ventilation strategy when it's known that really nasty bugs live in the ventilation system. So can you solve collectively what needs to be solved individually? What, what has been solved individually? Now, I'm not saying that masks yes or no. What I'm saying is how can we work more on a collective solution, much better ventilation in our offices than than relying on an individual action? Because some problems can't be solved individually. Now, this may mean just a simple thing that in the office through the winter, We have to buy everybody hoodies or fleeces so that we can keep the windows open. It could be as simple as that. But what can we do to improve ventilation and air quality in our offices and in our buildings where we work and where we connect? How can we solve collectively a problem that is currently manifesting individually? Now, talking about that, the essence of that is really about how can we create resilient and supportive cultures, which is what we need in order to deal with massive levels of turbulence and fewer companies have got these. So employees have got to do for themselves what should be taken care of by an organisation. So how can we expect our people to do great work if they have to spend half their time protecting themselves from attack? In an unsupportive culture, employees have to figure out whom to trust, fight to be treated fairly, and protect themselves from internal attack. Working in a company with an unsupportive culture is like having to hold up the ceiling as you try to paint a room. So how can we as leaders create a supportive environment? And this is where I think it's actually been locally, at any rate, in organisations has been one of the wins through COVID. Is that I think people are more caring than they were. They're exhausted, but they have more care for others than they did. So what can we do to make more of that? And how can we reward it? How can we create a system where it doesn't rely on individual sacrifice or individuals going over, over and above repeatedly? But how can we have that supportive culture that is so helpful for others, but also is so helpful for performance improvement? Now, just as one final closing, I just want to stress that simply choosing to be optimistic about the future dominated by extraordinary change is delusional. The only genuine cause for optimism is massive action to become the best. Now, if you're the best, or at least world class, that's something people value you'll create the opportunity to be extraordinarily successful. So how close are you and your people to that standard? And what can we do if there's more turbulence to help people come back to their senses more quickly? How can we have an organisation and a culture that supports people? And as Fred Luskin would say, would forgive people if they just temporarily lose their stuff. Because we've we've all done it, haven't we, in the last 18 months? We've all had periods of losing our stuff. I certainly have. So what can we do to help people come back and forgive them and forgive ourselves for not being perfect? So in a period of calm or relative calm what can we do to capture the gains that come from staying focused on the stuff that's going to matter most in a post-COVID world? I want to close by stressing the, what the research says about organizations and societies who who, who survive and then thrive through turbulence. The soft stuff is the stuff that matters. The soft stuff, such as values creation, listening, commitment to others, that's the stuff that makes a difference for long term performance in turbulent situations. So we need to focus on that. Values will win through. The question is what kind of values are going to win? And are they the values you want to win? and if not how can you make sure your values are the ones that that win and the key to that is finding other people with shared values and perhaps the thing that i've most valued about doing these podcasts is reconnecting with people who have the same values as me and that's really what i wanted i guess and needed was to was to be around people who care the way i do and for that i really am very very appreciative so In closing, I just want to thank you for listening and thank you for being here. Thank you for reaching back um, and thank you for being part of my community or thank you for letting me be part of your community more accurately. Um, I wish you well. I've got no current plans or immediate plans for Series 2. I don't know when that's going to be coming out but please stay in touch. Um, You'll be able to arrange an appointment if you want that free conversation and just to reconnect and discuss some of the challenges that you're facing you better do that on the website. So, thank you very much. This has been The Art and Science of Success. I'm Jonathan Brown. If you want to learn more about the topics we've discussed today, be sure to visit alppartners.com where you'll find the show notes and other resources. And if you join our community there, you'll get access to even more battle tested ideas to help you create success for yourself and your organisation. You can also arrange a free call to explore how we can help you accelerate learning and performance in your organisation. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to subscribe and if you have a minute, pop over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to give us a positive rating. Thanks for listening.